Welcome this morning as you join us at Calvary Chapel Valdosta. Pastor Deshaun Van Cleve will resume delivering the word from the book of 1 Corinthians. All right, well, good morning, and uh, thank you for joining us here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, thank you for just waking up this morning and being obedient to the Holy Spirit and desiring to uh, worship God and give Him honor on Sunday, the Lord's Day, first day of the week. And so would you do this with me? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12 and finish the rest of the chapter. We have, if you have been with us, we have been hovering over chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 for the past four weeks, and we've been speaking about grasping the gifts, and uh, we had an opportunity to go through the gifts systematically, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I really enjoyed the, those past four weeks being able to look at things, and then even at the end, I thought to myself, I didn't even feel like we went through it exhaustively enough, um, but this is why you have personal Bible study and time to be able to spend uh, by yourself with God to, uh, to get a more precise and accurate knowledge of those things. But here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 12. So if you will stand with me, we'll give honor to God's word together. And then we'll pray and see how the Spirit would speak to us. Now it says here in verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body and many of one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, or one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are one, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show to you a more excellent way. Well, Lord, that was a mouthful, but we are so desired for our hearts to be full this morning with your word. So I pray, Lord, the word of God is active. It is alive. It is powerful. It is able to teach us, able to make us wise, to equip us. It is inspired. It is able to complete us. And so, Lord, will you help us to not just be people who hear the word and walk away with satisfaction, but help us to be people that do the word, that put it into practice, that we might bring honor to you until the day we stand before you and see you face to face. So we ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen. A talented organist. I want to talk to you about this <coughs> story I came across about a person that was an organist. Uh, they, that means they played the organ. A talented organist before the days of motor-driven or electric organs gave a magnificent concert in which the big pipes sent forth glorious, thunderous tones. After the people finished congratulating him, the little boy who had worked away with all his might at the bellows behind the curtain remarked, we did pretty well, don't you think? The organist disdainfully replied, and what did you do? He gave the boy no credit at all. A month later, during another concert, the organist came to a stormy passage that required all of the wind which the bellows were capable. Suddenly, the organ began to fade away. The organist signaled for more wind. Just then, the little lad pulled us out of the curtain and bargained. Then shall it be we? When the organist nodded vigorously in the affirmative, the lad went to work with a will. I think that's a great story that just illustrates the fact how we need one another and more particularly how those that are hidden those that don't seem to be very public and out in the open um, oftentimes are the ones that are overlooked like the young lad that was pushing the air through the pipes you see the organist was the one that got all of the credit the organist was the one that got all of the attention and the laud and praise but not the, the little one that was underneath the curtain, behind the curtain, pressing the air, enabling that thing to grow. This is important here because it shows that there are two things at action in this event, in this concert. There was the person that was playing, and there was the person that was supplying the power for that instrument to, to make a sound. And those two were coming together to form a reaction. We might call it chemistry. But see, one of the guys was not comprehending the chemistry. Only the one that was pushing things forth that was doing most of the work. The organist, he didn't see the chemistry. He only saw himself. This is a problem sometimes that we have in the body of Christ. And gang, this is the problem that the Corinthians were struggling with. That's the title of our morning's message, Comprehending the Chemistry. The chemistry of the body of Christ, that is. Now, we have been, for the past four weeks, talking about grasping the gifts 
But now, if they were going to overcome discord, then the Corinthians would have to comprehend the chemistry. They would need to see how they are formed and put together. In fact, I think in three ways we can see this as well as we look at the text. Number one, in verses 12 to 13, they need to see how, the, how they are connected in the body. They need to see the connection of the body, how it's put together. In verse 14 to 26, uh, we need to see the contrast in the body. How there's some differences, but it is made so that we could be bright and strong. A strong witness for the Lord. And in verse 27 to 31, we'll see the composure of the body. So we see the connection of the body. We see the contrast in the body. And then finally the composure uh, with the body as well. So look at verse 12. Let's try to see if we can comprehend the chemistry. Let's see if we can understand what the writer is trying to say and, and help us uh, to be better Christians, especially when we're gathering together and serving the Lord and doing the work of the ministry. Now it says in verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now, when I look at these verses here, there's a common phrase that continues to, uh, that continues to show itself in these two verses. Uh, one body. I see this idea of being one. One body. He says we are the body is one in verse 12. And he says members of that one body, being members, being many, are one body in Christ. He says one spirit. Again, into one body we are baptized. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. This idea that the Christian's identity and what connects us is something that is consistent. It's not inconsistent. But it's consistent. It's, it's, it's a oneness that we have together. You see, in our culture, we like to separate ourselves and, and make ourselves distinct by maybe race, background, country. But you, you have to understand that the Christian identity is not in our country, but it is in our citizenship, the Christian identity. It's not about where we are from and we're different from this. No, we have all become citizens of the same country. We belong to one another. Some years ago, I had an opportunity to go abroad into Europe. Do you know that when you go abroad, your whole perspective changes uh, from who you are? I'll never forget, we landed in Rome and we got off on the tarmac. It's much different than it is here. In fact, they had little buses or trolleys that come pick you up from the air, the airplane that is right on the airport tarmac. It's not like you walk through one of those uh, those hallways that they have that connects you to the terminal. We, we had to actually walk down from the plane into a bus. And so we got on the bus and as we went into the terminal, there were some Italian 
of soldiers standing there with weapons and security guards. And uh, they signaled me and tried to put me aside. Oh, man, that was the, the one time that I felt vulnerable. Here I am, thousands of miles away from my country, in another country, and all I could think was, I'm American, man. I'm American. And I, I was looking for the guys that I was traveling with, and I saw them, and I'm like, look, guys, look what's going on here. And they came back and they said, no, he's with us. And man, we bandied together. We were Americans. It didn't matter that they were military, I was civilian. It didn't matter that they were white and I was black. We were Americans in a foreign country. We weren't thinking about our, our race and our status. We weren't thinking about what separates us. We only had in our mind what brings us together, what unites us, our citizenship. And we carried around that little small booklet, an official passport that allowed us to pass through and walk around. See, we cared about being bonded together. We were Americans in a foreign land. When you get over there into other countries, people are not arguing that I'm a black American or I'm a Chinese American and, and I'm being mistreated. People are just thinking I'm Americans. And when something goes down and something is wrong, guess what happens? First thing you do is run into the embassy. You run into the embassy because you want to state your citizenship, where you belong to. See, this is what the apostle is trying to say, that we are one together. The problem that the Corinthians had was that they thought that they were all unique and individual. They thought that they, they were special and more special than other people. And so they couldn't have a real identity. But the apostle here, after he gives them uh, an overview of some of the gifts that they have and how the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts as he wants to, the next thing he goes into is that you guys are one. You're together. And you must understand this. And so this is something we need to get down that he was trying to communicate to the Corinthians. That in order for the body of Christ to function properly, the body of Christ needs to eliminate factions quickly. Factions are differences. These are people that are trying to separate themselves. Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13, the apostle asks that, rhetorical question to the Corinthians. He said to them, is Christ divided? That's a rhetorical question. No, he's not. Jesus Christ is not divided. He's not separated. He's one. So we got to eliminate the factions and the Apostle Paul was saying this to the, to the believers here, is that the body is one. He uses the analogy of a human body and he says the human body is one body. It has many different limbs and different functions, but still, when you look at it, it is one body. It's not three different bodies, two different bodies conjoined. It's one body altogether. And you believers at Corinth, and even you believers today, must understand that in order for us to operate, in order for us to accomplish the work of the ministry, we got to see ourselves as one. we got to see ourselves as being interconnected. So the connection of the body is just that. And we don't have any individual identities. Notice what he says here. He says, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. That's where our identity lies. We're all connected because we're in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters because we're in Christ. 
That is the common denominator, Jesus Christ. Now, if anybody is trying to separate themselves and be special and unique, maybe they're trying to change that denominator, and they want to be something else. And so he says, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, and have been all been made to drink into that one spirit. So he tells us here that even by the Holy Spirit, he is the glue that bonds us together. We have been all baptized into one body. That word baptized is the Greek word baptizo, and it is speaking of an immersion. This is not a quick dunking, like you get baptized, you, you go down, you come up. This is talking about a person that stays in the water long enough that they change and are transformed. Just the way you make pickles. That's a good way to put it. When you take the cucumber and you put it in the vinegar, as it sits in the vinegar, the whole composition changes, and then later on, what happens? That cucumber actually becomes a pickle. Transformed. That's what he says. We are all baptized into the body. We have been immersed by the Spirit to be changed and to become one. This organism that God can use. Where we're no longer Jews and Greeks or we're no longer slaves or free men. We're just one. We have been all made to drink into that same Spirit. He's saying we're all one together. And this is the thing that we have to pay attention to because we do have an adversary and our adversary, his main desire is to separate us. So we can't accomplish the work of the ministry. He wants us to isolate ourselves so we can't partner in the work of the ministry. He wants us to see all of our differences so that we won't want to partner and get together. We're like, there's no need. I'm not going to get together with those Baptist guys and those Pentecostal guys. And I don't care what those Methodist guys have to say. And, and that's what he wants. But we have to be able to, to have that first, the common denominator in Christ Jesus. And we have to see that it's the Holy Spirit that is connecting us together. In Ephesians chapter 4, the, the writer tells us, as he was speaking to the Ephesians in verse 3, that we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he goes on to say in Ephesians 4, 4, that there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He's telling us that there is not this separate, distinct, there are no factions. There is one, one. And we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. We have to endeavor to be identified only as under the Lord Jesus Christ and under the Spirit. That's when somebody asks you, hey, so what are you? What, what, what denomination are you? You need to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That's what I am. What denomination am I? I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm not, I don't really associate with all those things. I adhere to the word of God. I belong to Christ. We want to strive hard not to separate ourselves and make us distinct. Now, I know that some are making themselves distinct because, as Paul said earlier, 
if, if you don't show any separation, then how are you going to see who's right and who's wrong? And I know there's a lot of false doctrine. And so, you, you know, we have to be careful about what we're saying and who we are so that people can know that we're not part of this group that believes these crazy things. But gang, make sure that your first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, chapter 11, it tells us that Barnabas went to Antioch. In, in Syria. And when he went up there to Antioch, it tells us that he saw the believers gathered together. And they were from many different races and different nationalities, but man, he was so excited when he saw the work of grace in Antioch. But chapter 11, verse 26, tells us something even more. It says, when he had found him, uh, Paul, that is, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. They were first called Christians there before they were called followers of the way. But when, they, when Antioch was put together as they were growing in Christ, they began to take on a new moniker, and that was they were a Christian. And that word can be separated. You see, Christ is the prefix. I-A-N is the suffix. The I-A-N means you belonged to the prefix. You were part of the prefix. So give you an example. If you say you are an Ephesian, the I-A-N is at the end. That means you belong to Ephesus. If you are a Georgian, you belong to the state of Georgia and if you are a Christian, you belong to Jesus Christ the Lord. That is where we need to be focused. Not on our differences. Yeah, I'm, I'm over here. I'm doing... We, we need to belong to Christ. That's it. Just like the believers back then, they belonged to Christ. They were called Christians. They belonged to Christ. They had a part of Christ. And so the apostle wants to kick off as he's talking about comprehending the chemistry he wants to understand how they're fit together he starts off by explaining that you're connected first and foremost don't think that you're separate the next thing that he says here in chapter 12 in verse 14 he says for the body is not one member but many well here's a good preface to that we got to think of contracts Contrast in the body of Christ. But just think about the word contrast itself. What does that mean? If you looked it up in the, de in the, in the, in the um, dictionary, the definition of contrast would be something like the differences that form both, uh, that, that provide both form and color. Differences that provide both form and color. Differences that determine luminance or intensity of light. That's contrast. So when you are thinking about setting the contrast on your TV, you're trying to, to define form and color. You're trying to determine the luminance, how intense the lighting is going to be, whether or not it's going to be too dark of a shade or too light of a shade. This contrast that we have in the body of Christ is super important because it determines, just like that word, it determines the luminance, the intensity of the light. You see, we are here to reach souls. 
And then when that time is over, we're going into eternity. And then we'll stand and, and be judged and evaluated on the fruit that we brought about in our lives as we work for him down here on earth. We got to think about the intensity of our light because that is going to bring many more people in. Remember, our Lord Jesus told us that we were cities set on a hill. He said, you are a city set on a hill. You're like a lamp. People need to see this light and come into the safe harbor. And so our luminance needs to be intense. But gang, when we are stressing our differences and how we are separated, it decreases and diminishes the light. And now people can't see it. And I think that just like here in Corinth, they were struggling with this because in chapter 1, the apostle dealt with that and said, I hear that there are divisions among you. Some people say that they're of Jesus Christ. Some people say they're of Paul. Some people say they're of Peter. Some people say they're of Apollos. It's like, what is happening here in Corinth? It is diminishing the light because there are so many separations. But we have to see that God has created a contrast of us to be different, but to be connected, to be collected. Because this will increase the luminance of the light that is shining in us and through us. And so he says, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Rhetorical question. No. If your foot just decides, I, I'm not part of it, because I'm not like the hand, so I don't want to be in it. And that's, Does that mean he's not of the body? No, it doesn't. He's still part of that body, unless he was, you know, dismembered. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No. It still has to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, in verse 17, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? Do you see what's happening here in Corinth? That there are some people that are here in the church, and they're saying, if I'm not functioning as this guy is functioning, then I don't have, I'm not needed here. Then I'm not anything. And that's not true. He's saying, you, because you're different, it is important. But if you're going to be comparing yourselves to each other, then, then obviously you're not going to be as effective as you can be. There are some that were like, man, that guy always gets to speak. Why is Rufus always talking? And I have a word too. And there's a problem here. Maybe God did not create you for that function, but you have another role to play. That doesn't mean you just disengage and disconnect, but that means you figure out who you are. And listen, this right here is the biggest distraction in the body of Christ, comparing yourself to others instead of comparing yourself to Christ. That's the biggest distraction because what happens is people come into the body of Christ and now God wants to instill with them an identity in Christ that is going to look back to Jesus Christ. But then you start looking at other people and you start saying, well, maybe I need to be like them. And then I can't get the same opportunities as them. And now you're comparing yourself and you, you find yourself in a very disheartened, discouraged state of mind. You can't even move forward now because you feel like you're not like this person. But you know, this is the biggest distraction. Because like it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The scriptures tell us it's not wise to compare yourself to others. It's not wise. Number one, that person is not the standard of godliness. They're not the standard of righteousness and holiness. They might be a good example, but you shouldn't be comparing yourself with them because there's some flaws in their character. In all of our characters, there are flaws. We still have sin that is with us. Nobody's perfect. The only one that we should be comparing ourselves to is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that is perfect. We should look at him and say, man, is my life measuring up to Christ? That is the question we should ask. Not, do you think I'm growing? Do you think I'm looking like? We should be saying to ourselves, am I looking like Christ? That should be the, the goal. We're trying to reach the measure and the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we compare ourselves and we're like, well, I'm not like what the eye does and I'm not like what the mouth does, we are not wise, as the scripture says. And so they were trying to compare themselves. Back to 1 Corinthians 12, it tells us in verse 18 that God now, it says, but now has God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. God has decided what function what role everyone will play as it pleases him. He's trying to get the glory and the satisfaction out of it. Not us. That's why we can't take a worldly way, a worldly view of coming into Christ. See, the world does that. You finish school, you just pick a career. That's it. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And you just go into it. That may not even be your bent. But that's what you desire because you think there's something to gain out of it. I can make a lot of money here. I can get a lot of prestige here. This is a place of status. I can get that. That's not how it works in the body of Christ. We don't get saved and then just decide where we want to go ahead and serve. Yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and choose the pastorate. You know, they get a lot of attention there. That's not how it works. <coughs> Excuse me. We don't just come into Christ and choose. God sets it up as it pleases him. He gives us the contrast as it pleases him. He has the right mixture. He has the perfect chemistry so that we can shine brightly. We have to submit and surrender ourselves to him. We come into Christ, it's not coming in saying this is what I want to do. We come into Christ saying, what do you want me to do? What will you have me to do? Who will you have me to be? That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to ask that question. What is your will for me, Lord? And so, in verse 19, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. You see, the, the different members of the body can't discount the others. And I think this is perfect right here because it shows the wisdom of God. You see, in his wisdom, 
He has made us interdependent. In his wisdom, he has made us interdependent. That means he has made us so needy of one another that we cannot survive if we do not have each other. Therefore, it is a crime to be independent of the body of Christ. Now that is a, a, that is a pattern of our culture today, to be independent. Our culture says you don't need anybody. And when you feel like you're being overwhelmed, just get alone and isolate yourself. That is not of the, of the Christian way. That's not of good doctrine. That's not of a sound mind. God in his wisdom has made us interdependent. That means when we are part of a body, we need everybody in that body. We need to be a part of it. We have something to give. We need to receive something. We are interdependent. But when we try to be independent, we're, we're acting outside of his will. It's a crime because now the body cannot work well. What do we call that in our natural mindset? What do we call that in our medicine and our diagnosing and prognosing people? We call that cancer. See, cancer doesn't need the body. That's what it does. It draws from the body and separates itself, and it takes, takes, takes. That's a cancer. And if you are independent, and you're not part of a body, you're not contributing to a body, you're not connected with believers in prayer, you're not seeking the Lord together, you're not showing up consistently, then you are a cancer to the body. You're just drawing from it, taking from it, destroying it. God has made us to be interdependent. That's why the apostle here was saying that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Cannot. Because it does. Hand and eye coordination is so important for so many functions that we have. The eye has to be able to work with the hand. If you're going to reach down and grab something, the eye is concentrating on it and the hand is grabbing it. Let's just say, for instance, you get up in the middle of the night and you're walking and all of a sudden you don't have any socks on or anything like that. You step on something and it gets into your foot. First thing you do is you fall down. The entire body feels it. Fall down. What, what happens? The eye turns your body. The hand turns the light on. The eye gazes at that, that splinter and the eye is looking so closely and acutely. We got to find it. And then the hand is like, use those nails. We got to get in and see if we can pull it out. And see, they need each other. The body is interdependent. Now, you, you might be able, in your natural frame, to be able to operate without an arm. That, you might figure out how to do that. And there are some people that are born where they don't have any limbs. And, and they're still operating. That's not the norm. That's an exception to the norm. But typically, you need every single piece in your body. Now, there are some people that just have the appendix, and we don't know what that thing is for. It's just there. But when it erupts, there's a problem. So obviously, there's a need for it to be there. Every part is needed. They're all interdependent. We need each other. This is not a, a cheerleading thing. You know, we're like, we need each other. Yeah. 
But we do, because this is how God has put it together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. That is a great verse to show that the body is able to work within itself to grow itself. That's just like our body. If you get a cut and it's not super, super deep where you don't need stitches, your body goes into action, sends those white blood cells to the, the place of trauma, begins to clot up the blood to stop the bleeding, close up that wound. Maybe about four days later, you begin to see a scab forming. The skin is now working to harden and protect this area as the body repairs itself. Do you see this? That's what Ephesians 4.16 is talking about. Every joint in this body is supplying something to the other parts. According to the measure and the effectual work and the energy, the power that God gives this body, according to that, it is working it out so that the body can grow. God is doing this. But if you are not part of a body and if you're not in the body being productive, helping out, serving, that you're not going to supply the other parts because the other parts of the body, are, they need you to be diligent. They need you to be faithful. They need you to be uh, trustworthy in order for us to, to meet the goal of what God has set for us. So notice what he says next in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, no, in verse 22, no, much more. Those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. For God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. What this is saying here is that there are certain parts of, if you just think of his analogy of our physical frame, there's certain parts of our body that get more attention than others. Just think about your feet, for instance. You put shoes on your feet when you're walking outside. And when it's cold, you've got socks on and you put boots on. Think about those. They're receiving more than your hands would. Very rarely are you going out with, without going on with gloves. Depends on what climate you're in. But most of the time, you're not. You're not covering your hands up. But your feet are. You're covering those parts. You give more honor to that as opposed to your hands. And so what he's saying is that there are certain functions and parts of the body as he's speaking about this contrast that it's the hidden parts that are really the heart of the body. The hidden functions of the body is really, they are really the heart of the body, the indispensable parts. You can't do without them. Just think about if, the, if your foot, as I heard a guy say, if your foot got upset with you because he's just always in those socks and they're smelly and crampy. Think about the feet. They're always getting covered up. They're getting put inside shoes. 
sweating, never seeing light. Look how they're getting taken advantage of. What if they got upset? It's like, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. I don't like the way you are treating me. So we have to think, think about this right here. That, you know, he's saying that we have to look at the hidden parts of the body, give honor and preference to those things. Look, the, the hidden parts in the body of Christ could be those ones, the people that are, <coughs> they have the gift of giving, or maybe the gift of mercy, or maybe, you know, they're coming alongside people to help. The gift of helps. It doesn't seem like they're getting much much acclaim. Nobody is really talking about how much this person has helped them. The, the people that are recipients of it, they just get it and then they move on. And these parts of the body are extremely needful because the body wouldn't be able to function without these small parts, these hidden parts. I remember some years ago, there was a friend of mine, we were at a men's, men's prayer breakfast. And he, he was always the type he liked to study nature and stuff. And, and I liked the, the perspectives he would give me. But he came over to me one Saturday. He said, hey, Deshaun, let me talk to you real quick. I said, what's up? He said, you know, I was thinking about certain fruit that grows in the shade. Because not every fruit can grow in the shade. But there is certain fruit that grows in the shade. Think about that. And I remember sitting there thinking, he's like, some of the best fruit grows in the shade. The, the things that we really enjoy, they grow in the shade. He alerted me to like pineapples and how a pineapple forms a plant and they grow low to the ground. They don't get much, much sunlight. But it is a sweet fruit. And some of the best fruit is the fruit that's in the shade. Some of the best functions in the body of Christ are the ones in the shade. Those are the ones that we need to elevate. Pay attention to. See, that is very, very important. That's the engine for this machine that God is using here on earth. Now, what does he tell us in 25? The reason why God has tempered it together. In fact, in verse 24, when it says God has tempered the body together, another way of saying that is that God has uh, mixed the body together. He has given just the right chemistry for each part to cause this reaction for the good. So God has put it all together. For what purpose? Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body. That word can be translated a tear. That there should be no tear, no rent in the body. That's why God has formed it these ways. We shouldn't try to go and make it our way and put it in our, the way we think it should be. We should be seeking the Lord about, Lord, how is it that you want to define this body? What role would you have me to play so that there would be no tear, no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, that the members should have the same concern, the same love, the benevolence for one another? God has done this. And whether one member suffers all the members suffer with it. Or one member is honored, all the members are rejoicing with it. Everybody is connected, all together. Nobody is trying to get their own way and achieve their own things. No. And so this is what the scripture is telling us, that we are trying to avoid tears. We're trying to avoid schisms. 
listen to this, a lack of difference leads to a whole lot of damage. A lack of concern leads to a lot of cuts. And a lack of love leads to a lack of luster in the body of Christ. This is why we, we have to value the contrast that God gives us. Because we're all differently put together, as my wife tried to say about me, Psalm 139, she tried to give me the nickname Flam, F-W-A-M. I'm like, what? Flam? She's like, yeah, you're just fearfully and wonderfully made, buddy. When you think about that, you're just like, you're like, what? Farm or whatever it's called. We, we are all just like that. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. God, he designs us just like that, and he puts a body together, and he gives the parts. And so we should, we should value and cherish the contrast because it helps us to be more intense. We shouldn't desire to just be like everybody else. We should desire to follow examples and patterns that will help us to be godly. But remember, we're trying to live up to the measure of Christ. So as we get ready to close up, uh, the Apostle Paul transitions here. He says in verse 27, Now, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So he tells them, you, you are the body of Christ. You guys are a part of this entire construct that God is making. And you're members, separate, distinct, but you're all together. You're part of this one thing, this conglomeration. Of which first, of which Colossians chapter 1 tells us Christ is the head and everything flows down from him. We are the body. This is what he says to him. You are the body. Don't think of yourselves as being all separate and you're doing this over here and she's doing that and you have this division and this discord. Remember, you are the body. And so what does he say? He says, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And then he asks these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Is everybody a teacher? Does everybody work miracles? Have all the gift of healing? Does everybody have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Does everybody interpret? The, the answer to that is no, obviously. You see, no one can do everything, but everybody can do something, is what he's saying. This is how God has handed it down. The apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the pastors, and great things. But not everybody is doing all those things, but everybody can do something. And this is important for us to remember. This is the composure of the body. Everybody can do something. Everybody can't do everything. And that's where we get in trouble sometimes. And so he says in 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show to you a more excellent way. He says instead of posturing for the most notable gifts, we should be praying for the most useful gifts. 
That's what he's saying. Covet earnestly the best gifts. That word best can be translated the most useful. Covet earnestly. Desire those things. The most useful gifts. Not just the ones that you think you're going to get, you know, some attention from. But the useful ones. We should be praying about what is most useful for the body instead of what is notable in the body, which will distinguish you and point you out. And so he says, yet I show to you a more excellent way. We're going to go over that next week, this excellent way. Because this little phrase right here shows us something that is very important. That the gifts, all they do is compose this vessel that God is going to use. They just make up this vessel and, and form this, this channel through which this best thing flows through. It's not really the gift, it's what's flowing through that gift to touch other people. That is what's most important. It's like a guy said, a shop full of barrels enrich not unless full of commodities. See, the barrel is not going to really enrich you unless it is full of something they can. And that is the most excellent thing that we'll discover, God willing, next week. But as we end, here the apostle wants to show us that we need to comprehend the chemistry. We need to see how the body is connected. We need to see how the body has contrast. And we need to see how the body is composed, the composure, the balance that the body has. Not everybody is doing everything, but with everyone doing a little bit of something, this body can be effective. And here in Corinth, they can be even more effective because there was a great work to be done there. We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. Follow us on Twitter at CC underscore Valdosta and visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. Calvary Chapel Valdosta is a fellowship of believers committed to the study of the Word of God and seeking the things that are Jesus Christ's. Let us now end in prayer. Let's say a word of prayer together. Father, I thank you for 1 Corinthians 12, and I thank you for the reminder that, Lord, you are the one that's in control. You gift us, and then you position us in a certain group, with a certain group of people that have been called out of the world into the glorious light. And you're perfecting us, Lord. And so we want, Lord, to know desperately uh, what is it that you would have us to do? Because we want to know how we fit in the body. We want to fit well. We want to do our jobs well. We want to bless the other parts. So strengthen us, Lord, and help us to value what you give us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.